the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week's guest is Erica Newgirl, a variety streamer and digital artist trained as an actor and director of theater. Erica, welcome to The Transgender Show. Hello. How do you define being trans? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question. Uh, I feel for myself. I get. I mean, the simplest way is to say that the gender that I was assigned at birth is not how I identify today. It's probably the simplest way of saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it does get a little bit more complicated. That more below the surface you get, but I think that's the simplest definition definition to start the conversation with. Yeah, and and when along that, when did you first realize that you were different? than, you know, the average bear. Yeah, I would say, you know, look, it's so much easier. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, I definitely can see patterns at a young age, four, five, six, you know, not really being interested in the masculine activities of childhood. Uh, I had an older sister that I just loved doing whatever her and her girlfriends were doing. Um, and then when puberty hit, like that really, like puberty was a huge sort of giant spike in there that like, you know, I, I just kept imagining myself as the, you know, as not masculine. I kept imagining what it would be like to have a feminine body. And um, I I've, I got real depressed and a lot of anxiety around that time. And, um, you know, it's so easy because I didn't have words growing up then for, for transgender or gender dysphoria. But I definitely can trace back a lot of feelings starting my teenage years. Yeah, I think that I... I, I... I haven't been specifically asking that question, but I need to focus on that because that was kind of it for me too. tracing it backwards before that I can see breadcrumbs, but mm-hmm. yeah, when it was in the, the, the teenage years, early teen transition there, starting puberty, when it just seemed to kind of go haywire and all of this, this stuff was coming up that again, like you said, no words to describe it, no definition, but you're like, mm-hmm. something was, something was off and you're like, Whoa, what's going on? At first, you just yeah. kind of figure, well, oh, it, everybody's going through it, or 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 whatever, or or, or maybe the opposite. Right. You feel like, you know, I'm I'm a freak, and this is this is completely unique to me. But yeah, uh, I think that's definitely the time where it becomes big. What other things were going well, on with you at that point? Well, you know, I grew up in a really really small rural town in North Dakota, in the U.S. Here, and anytime I would express my way in a way that wasn't like hyper masculine. Um, my community just like sort of picked on me, bullied me, uh, made me feel bad. So by the time I got to freshman year of high school, like things had gotten so bad of being made fun of for stuff that like I purposefully sort of, I remember being a freshman in high school and being like creating a character in my mind, uh, like of what I felt masculinity represented or looked like that I could play. And so like I was... The person at the party doing really risky behavior and you know super like sexualized everything and just like thought of like this is must be what man looks like and i've carried that into you know relationships marriage divorce da 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 da, da mm. until i realized i was trans yeah i didn't do that with the hyper sexualization i actually kind of um my personal sexuality, like I was so afraid of it that like I kind of rejected it on all levels. Like I, I just tried to shy away from it. So like when, you know, hanging out with, with the guys or whatever and we're away on a, on a trip and like, you know, we're in a hotel and one of them's like, oh, hey, porn. And they bring it up like I just, you know, 
I completely shied away. And yet, like, anytime there was anything physical or masculine, like a wrestling match or whatever but that would break out between the guys, like, I always had to be the toughest, you know, the, 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 the strongest. I always had to be the most dominant um, because, again, like you said, like, that's what you thought you had to do to prove more, you know, in retrospect, more to yourself than to the others. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think in that mindset, just like, um, you know, I, I I feel like my transitioning has been as much about taking off all the masks I put on myself uh, growing up. You know, a lot of it was survival mechanisms. I had some trauma in my early, you know, ages three to five. I had some, like, sexual trauma and stuff that was really, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but through therapy now as an adult would realize like really also affected me in a way that like, yeah, things like hypersexualization was probably like the easiest thing for me to grapple onto considering the trauma I've had experienced and stuff. So, yeah. Um, that's jumping ahead a little bit, but, but let's, let's get into that without really getting into, um, what it was that you experienced as, as far as the trauma itself. Um, mm-hmm you know, a, a, a big thing from that that you usually hear about, and of course, no doctors here, no therapists, so this is just kind of hearsay and, mm-hmm. and um, experiential, but um, a big part of that is is that the victim usually blames themselves, and you know, how much, how much blame did you feel from that, and how much did you attribute kind of your um, sexual development as a teen when you're grappling with this kind of trans identity that you didn't even know how to identify at that time how how much do you feel those things all kind of coalesced there um yeah i they impacted each other um they made they made a lot of things confusing for me even in adulthood when i began to explore transitioning where um you know, yeah, the, the original question of, like, how much did I blame myself? Like, all the way, 100%. Like, of course, because of the nature of how it was, like, I, it wasn't a situation where I put up a fight. It wasn't, like, it didn't feel against my will. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I was way too young to be making those types of decisions yes. about myself and my body with someone who was much, much older. So uh, it's only in adulthood now, after a lot of work on myself, that I realized, oh, I'm not to blame for that that's still like a nagging thing to like, you know, I have to remind myself. Um, and then when I got to the point of realizing I was transgender, um, one of my first thoughts was, well, it's, I feel this way because of my sexual trauma. Um, and so that's when I, I got into therapy and started, I'd already been to therapy. I'd been at that point, I was sober for about three years and I'd done sober. I'd done a lot of work in therapy when I first got sober. And, um, but I realized looking at the gender issues that I needed to get therapy and just the whole time, just like that question, do, do I want to transition because of my trauma or do I want to transition because I'm transgender? Mm. Um, and now I realize the question is, was bogus to begin with because for me, the real, and this is the sort of the thought process that led me to finally transitioning is just that like, for me, I realize no cis person debates their gender as much as I have debated my gender Mm -hmm. Um, from being a teenager and debating, like wishing I had a body that wasn't what I had um, to in my late mid to late twenties, just constantly like questioning while my trans and my trans, like 
It's just people don't ask that question over and over and over again. Um, is, is and that it was by far. Is that something that oh, came out um, from therapy? Did, did your therapist kind of back up that that thinking that you know cis people uh, even even in the trauma don't have that kind of a reaction to it? Um, no, that particular therapist was amazing for me in a lot of ways, but not when it came to gender stuff. She was not like an LGBT therapist. She was she's a really good relationships therapist. Uh, that's like actually what she specializes in now. I like looked her up. Um, after I started transitioning, and um, she she was convinced by the end of it that I just enjoyed cross-dressing as a sexual kink, which, looking back now, is like a big, just you gross uh, situation. It was once I found like a transgender community here where I live now that I began to be like, oh, yeah, being around a bunch of other trans folks of all over the the sort of gender expression uh, that's possible i was like oh that's when i started realizing yeah cis people don't debate this cis people don't aren't having this experience mm -hmm. um and that's what gave me the confidence to finally like transition yeah yeah i, th I think that's that's super common yeah, yeah you, so much of that <laughs> to unpack the the way that cis people view trans people like uh you know feeling like they 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 want to like oh it's just it's just something that i want to do it, it it seems appealing to me whereas no it's it's a true debate of who you are on a base level you know am i truly a man or am i a woman where is this coming from and it and it it's such an internal struggle and it's such a debate that like you said is 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 just not what a what a cis person goes through and it does right. take finding that community and finding that kind of normality in that community and um, just the, the 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 benefit of having other people going through the same things having the same thoughts and you realize okay no this is this is not unique to me this is not a weird thing this is this is more common and that again that's kind of the point of this show is to make sure that we get that out there and so other people that are feeling that and don't have the community maybe developed you know it's important to have your support group and um that's what this show is, is hopefully giving a lot of you out there. Um, when did you first find community? Yeah, um, so I currently live in Minneapolis, um, Minnesota. And when I moved here, I met um, a trans uh, guy by the name of Walken who we had both gone to uh, uh, the same clown school together uh, years ago. We, we actually were a year apart. But we met when I was doing there. He actually crashed my Thanksgiving dinner um, that I was having with uh, my classmates. And but then we like we never saw each other for like seven years. And then I moved here, and we were both promoting our own theatrical projects. Uh, he has a theater company. I was creating my own theater. And we were like, hey, we're we're both alumni of the school. We should like get a coffee and get to know each other. And as soon as I met him, I was like, I know I've met you before. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we've met. <laughs> and then um, he asked me to work on a project with an ensemble that uh, was like pretty much all trans. The ensemble now is an all trans ensemble. It wasn't at the time, but I came in as an assistant director. And it was literally then. Uh, in that rehearsal process that I realized, oh, like I have found community. If I'm going to transition, this this is it. This is the time because here's a community that, um, you know, I, I fell in love with that ensemble immediately. They fell in love with me and 
they helped me transition and now I live with one of the ensemble members. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so great to to have something that you naturally love to do and you were doing anyways be the mm-hmm. the springboard for the community. Yeah, definitely. Did you um, you know oh, oh, no, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I mean there are lots of other like support groups out there and things like Trans Lifeline. There's like there are resources that I didn't know about when I was in a more rural area with a less developed trans community, but you know, Tumblr uh, seven years ago was a huge, that's how I met uh, some other folks in the trans community that we may uh, mutually know. Um, and you know, now I'm friends with them. So I have an electronic community. I have a real life community. Both are essential, but when you don't have the option of an in-person one, thankfully the internet uh, allows for community as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that That's, completely how I found my community. I was part of one to begin with when I was first kind of coming out and, and, and exploring my, myself, my gender. Yeah. And, uh, it, it got to be too much for me. So I took a break from it for a long time. It was just too much for me to deal with, with, within myself, too many questions that I wasn't ready to answer yet. So now, and mm-hmm. now that we're in this pandemic, there's kind of nothing better to do, but to dive into a community. Right. Did you, uh, when, when you were growing up before you found the theater, um, did did you have what was your experience with your older sister were you able to be honest with her and kind of come out to her and explore anything with her like any dress up or makeup kind of things or was it sort of from a distance not when i got to be a teenager um when i was like really little um sometimes she had like those like long t-shirt pajamas you know and sometimes i'd wear some of hers or whatever or um i remember she had like these I mean, we both, we had these like foam balls that sometimes I would stuff in my shirt and walk around with or whatever. Um, but no, not really. Uh, never really, especially once I got to my teenage years, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in my household, like really toxic stuff once I got to my teenage years. So uh, we really like, we became very distant for a long time. You and your um, sister, huh? Yeah. And that's mostly just a product of the environment of our of our childhood, growing up in a really chaotic uh, household. So. Yeah, well, yeah, just just based it, based on your experience with uh, sexual trauma uh, in in at that time, I just, I can't imagine what um, the uh, the possibility is that that she experienced something herself. Um, yeah. What? Um, let's see. Um, when, when did you, when did you finally find the, the, the words to be able to describe yourself as trans? Was that part of the theater community? Um, I, there's a, there's a few answers to that. I feel like, I mean, the very first time that I had any words was, um, when VH1 would start playing the Rocky Horror Picture Show at Halloween, that was like the first time I was like that, whatever that is. I don't have words for it still, but that is something right there that identifies, especially uh, Frankenfurter's whole, like, whatever happened to Fay Ray and going into the Don't Dream It, Be It montage and everything like that. Um, I just was like, something was very queer, and it resonated with me. Um, But then I began to really articulate. um, So I got married right after college to my high school sweetheart and then divorced two years later. And my first relationship after the divorce was actually with a trans woman um, who I met through friends online. 
uh, and it was through, you know, talking with her and slowly becoming friends and then more than friends. And then we dated for a couple of years that, that, that was like, I learned, that was like my textbook trans 101 uh, crash course where, you know, I learned a lot of the issues affecting the community. I learned about, uh, you know, she, she transitioned in New York city in the early two thousands in a time when like, you know, the house culture was still around and she like, she had a mother, she had daughters. Like she was very much in like that system of, of trans women, like looking out for the next generation while leaning on the older generation, wow. stuff like that. Like I learned all of that through like the whole Paris is burning documentary. Like she was living that life. Um, so I learned a lot from her, you know, unfortunately the relationship did not pan out, but, um, when I was ready to transition, like I had a lot more vocabulary, like it was, let's see. So that was, we broke up in 2011. It was in 2012 that I was just driving to work one day in Los Angeles and the thought you're trans just popped over my head, just real quiet. Like, and I was like, Oh shit, I need therapy. <laughs> so, um, uh, here we go. Here comes the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was about when I when I had like the words for it. But actually, like even in college, I had a friend who actually like did dress me up a little bit, and like that was really fun. Mm-hmm. That that ex girlfriend that I just talked about, she once because she was a fabulous makeup artist. So like she done she did me up, and I was just like I became another person, and I actually kind of frightened her because she was just like uh, I don't like this. Let's <laughs> let's not anymore do that. Yeah, but um, she, once you open Pandora's box, it's a little hard to uh, close it. Yeah. I think she did realize she opened Pandora's box and I think she was hoping that she didn't uh, open Pandora's box, unfortunately, but you know, that's just who no one can control that stuff. So. Yeah. And I remember from my high school sweetheart, we, we um, dated through college and then got engaged. We didn't uh, end up getting married, but um, you know, I kind of came out to her about a couple things, you know, basically back then it was just, I, I had this, um, you know what I thought was a fetish, a fetish for wearing women's panties, and um, mm-hmm. got her. You know, kind of. She she was love, lovely enough to be accepting and, and kind of try like a a, a little bit uh, of stuff. But then like you know she quickly got to the thing of like, do you want to be a woman? And I'm like, well, that's that's a bit of a leap there from from you know liking women's panties and wanting to wear them to to wanting to be a woman. Uh, so it. Uh, 20 years later looking back it's like huh she was she, she was a little more aware than i was yeah it's yeah. so funny you know you, you know what's about, funny about oh go ahead yeah the uh that uh woman in college who like dressed me up for the first time she like took some photos and after i transitioned we met up in new york she lives in new york city now and i i was going out to new york to see some other stuff um see some theater and she was like you know what I actually have those photos still in my external hard drive. I was like, <laughs> and so like I have a lot of these photos. She like she didn't send me all of them, but she sent me like the best ones that like don't look like crap. And I'm just like, God, I wish I could have put a hormones into this 18, 19 year old body. I would have been so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's the thing of. of uh... I was thinking about that, and I I didn't articulate into into the the question I wanted to ask, but. Um... There's there's really something to that of, of when, if you had the time machine, when would the appropriate time to go back and tell yourself or perhaps your family that you're trans? 
that was an exercise I, I, I did the other day and I was thinking about like uh, when it started to kind of really become a little bit more obvious to me, eight, nine years old. And so I played this yeah. whole scenario through in my head of like going back in time and you know talking to yourself as an as a eight or nine year old to tell tell you that you're trans like yeah. <laughs> that didn't I mean, that doesn't that doesn't play doesn't make any sense but I I thought through this whole thing of like talking to my parents and you know telling them kind of what's coming and and sort of preparing them because that's been my biggest struggle being trans is is the acceptance from them. Uh, do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? When when would you want to go back and and uh, see if you could kind of tweak the story a little bit? Yeah. I've actually thought about this a lot. <laughs> um, I would go back to 1997, and I three th- like these are the things I'd want to accomplish. I'd want to explain to young 12 year old Erica what's going on. Um, yeah, maybe throw in the parent. I mean, the parents would have to be in this conversation too. Like break the news talk about it, you know, talk about a potential medical plan uh, for me throughout. But then the best part is I would convince them to take my college savings that I had at the time and invest it all in Apple stock when it's worth three, <laughs> three cents a share right before it collapsed. <laughs> and then I would leave. <laughs> that, would, that would be my time machine. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that like that breaks some of the rules, but that that's fine. That's fine. It's 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 part of it. We we all when when we when we think of time travel for something personal, then there's always the oh, but then the financial, you know, take the uh, the sports al- almanac right. back and give it to your parents. <laughs> yeah, that's all I need is the invest in Apple at that particular moment, and then uh, get Erica on some uh, hormone blockers, hormones ASAP, puberty blockers. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, I, I can't imagine how much it'd be different. I mean, I haven't even started my HRT yet, so I mean, it would obviously be a drastic change. But looking back, that would be so wonderful. I'm so jealous of the girls that realize young enough to be able to at least go on the blockers and block from going through transition until they've had a time to you know go through therapy and explore it and then experience. Um, ex- experience puberty as the true gender uh, that just that makes yeah. me super jealous but you know at this point there's not much we can do right yeah I, I feel the same way like I'm so grateful that th- that there's access for younger kids to like figure this stuff out at a much younger age I could if I would I w- if I could have I would have so you said it was in 2013 I believe when you had the realization when you were driving into work how long was it before how long was it after that that you you know you came out at work or um, to anybody else uh, a long time um, so I did come out to a few people back in 2013 like my closest um, you know my closest sobriety network knew you know I know my you know this is 12 12 step stuff but like I had a sponsor and I had sponsees and they all kind of knew and I did a little bit of gender bending at that time, you know, wearing some more androgynous clothing and stuff. Um, <clears throat> uh, I told a manager, and that actually was one of the reasons I, another reason that I kind of put it to pause is that manager felt compelled to talk to HR, who talked to the executive director, and like they started the chain going on it way faster than I was ready to. Mm-hmm. I wanted to confide in my manager because I love my manager, and I just wanted to like let her know. This is something I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm being called into the executive director's office to have a chat. And he was a bit of a creep. He actually was a creep to a lot of women in this workplace. He got fired eventually for being a creep. Mm-hmm. Um, but he brought me into his office and was just creepy. And was just like, he was, I mean, he was, 
he spoke the right words of like how much he supports me and whatever. Da 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 da. It, but it came off just so creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I kind of like that hit the brakes. And then talking to my therapist after a couple of years, she was like, "Oh, I don't think you're trans. I think you just uh, like the cross dress." Uh, that put on some brakes. And then I left LA. Was homeless and jobless for a bit. Life was just wild. My life is I, my twenties are wild. Yeah, I um, imagine, yeah. And then it wasn't until I moved to Minneapolis and settled down and met some other trans folks that, like, I was like, you know what, time to rethink this whole business. And then from there, it went by very fast. Um, I'm trying to think. So I came out, I worked with this company in 2017, the fall of 2017, in October. By November, I decided I was transitioning. Actually, even before the end of October, uh, I decided to transition. Um, I told, I told, the people in that theater company, I told some close friends, and I so slowly started coming out that by the time I reached New Year's Eve of of 2017, I came out to my parents that night, which was wild. Um, and then I, I did this theater thing uh, for a week and met all these new people, and for the first time, like started introducing myself as Erica and using she/her pronouns hmm. to in a like more public space, um, which was. When people were using the right stuff, it was super, uh, it's just like my heart sang every time someone used she, her for the, like, this is the first time other than these very close friends using it. And it just like felt so affirming and like, yes, this is right. And I got by January 10th of 2018, I had my first appointment uh, for hormones and I started hormones January 25th. And somewhere in there, I had, I had let work know and I was having that conversation with work. And then I got a promotion in May of 2018, and that was like, well, now's the time. So I talked to work, and like, when I when I transition to this new position, let's start clean slate as Erica, and that's what we did. Yeah, that, that, so I was full time, basically November of 2018. It went by very fast, yeah, way faster than I expected. That's a that's a quick transition or a quick um, set of events. I. I'm kind of yeah. the opposite. I, I've taken a very, very long, slow approach, and I think I talked to you about this before. But my, uh, I had a, I had a big wall against anything permanent. I was afraid to start mm-hmm. laser and hormones because of of any permanent changes. I was still yeah. clinging to that, not a hope, um, maybe a safety net, maybe you know the the waiting for the other shoe to drop, the realization that no, this is just a phase, or this is you know not the right thing for me. And, uh, so my mentally, I pushed up against this wall very strongly of, of starting any of those permanent things. And it's luckily it's just the more I push towards that, the more comfortable I am with the idea. But I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of shocked to hear that, you know, you, you come out and you realize, okay, this is really it. Then you start using the name Erica and, and start on hormones right away. That that's, that's impressive. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. It wasn't even the plan. I didn't try to go that fast. I, I thought I would get on hormones and I would be on it for months, maybe even a year before going like full time at work. It's just like things kept happening that just sort of aligned. It's just, I couldn't fight the alignment, like the flow of how everything was unfolding. It just happened. Well, I legally like... changed my name to Erica by 2000, by November mm-hmm. of 2018. Yeah, that, that's So within wonderful. a year of realizing yeah. I was trans, I, I like legally did all the work too. Yeah, and um, so you didn't run into any institutional blocks either from work or from 
you know, the medical community of starting hormones or starting any of your transition. It was, it was smooth and you were able to move at your own pace and just let it, let the dominoes fall where they were, huh? Uh, for the most, yeah. I mean, in terms of work, work has been very supportive. I am the only trans person at work, um, for a, like two to 300 person company. Um, so there's a lot, lot of, they've been very supportive, but they don't, I mean, there's also, they make mistakes that they don't even realize they're making. There's a lot of education that needs to happen mm-hmm. s- still. And they're actually, they are open to it. Um, it's just a continuous conversation. Uh, so here in Minnesota, Minnesota actually has a lot of protections already. Um, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area have actually had protections for trans folks for decades, surprisingly. Uh, so that's been nice. I'm in a great place to be trans. Minneapolis is a great city. Um, the clinic I go to is an informed consent model where you go, they tell you everything that's possible with with hormone treatment, and if at the end of that you still feel like transitioning, uh, they write you the script after doing blood work and making sure that your body's like okay for hormone treatment. Hmm. So, uh, be, so yeah, if anyone's like, if you can find informed consent uh, model uh, clinics where you are, that is like one of the easiest ways with the less roadblocks you don't need you don't need letters from people from doctors from psychologists whatever it's just like they tell you what's going to happen all the risks inherent with it and then they'll let you go if if everything seems good with that um the biggest roadblock was honestly the dmv (laughs) uh that's where my greatest struggle was even after i had the legal name change there's a lot and part of it is just like the system is not designed to be trans friendly. So it's just like what I was told to do ended up not being what I needed to go do. And it just like was a lot of headaches. I had to keep going back to DMV a few times. Um, you know, I experienced for the first time that sensation of being super angry, but crying at the same time. <laughs> I was like at the DMV during this whole process. But eventually, I mean, my idea is correct now. And that's mm. what matters. Yeah, I've heard of, of that of, of the the their lack of knowledge of their own process because I guess it yeah. it, it varies from community to community or yeah. state to state. So some of the the education I think on their end is is a little lacking. And again, the problem is is they they don't run into it a lot. It's not something that that's fresh in their minds. So you got to give them yeah. a little bit of slack. But it is a sounds like it's a big pain in the ass. Something for me to look forward to. I think that'll be uh, that'll be next year. Um, yeah. Along that line, have you had any other issues, like especially at work, with being the trailblazer, being the 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 trans poster child? I you know I found that that yeah you know we're we, at a lot of places, most places, we're the first trans person that a lot of people have experienced. So there's a lot of educating and all of that. Yeah. Um, so like the people so before I was promoted, I basically like I was a teller at a branch. So, like, in terms of that side of the bank, like, other tellers, bankers, uh, branch, you know, uh, managers, in in that side of it, they all knew me, and they were, like, once I was transitioning, it was fine. They're, like, okay. Um, some of the people had questions, whatever. But then the, the side of the bank that I didn't interact with as much, like, say, the loan, the lenders, the credit analysts, the people that I just had no experience with, uh, I get a lot of stares at them at like all company events. Like I get pretty uncomfortable. There's a lot of just like, I just feel like I'm being, 
the quality at which I get looked at changed a lot from transitioning where um, before transitioning, people like never looked at me. Like it's just, I was able to pass through with no concerns in the world. I was able to go from point A to point B and that was it. Um, and now it's like, I feel a lot of eyes on me. I feel a lot of eyes that look at me in a particular way that isn't comfortable uh, in a particular way that makes me not feel safe. And, you know, that happens at work sometimes in these big company events. Like, I, I know I am safe. I know mm. none of them there are going to. But it's the same quality of stare that I get uh, in public places. Um, yeah, bathroom is situations mm. is nerve-wracking as hell. Um, the particular, like, place where I worked, uh, we shared a building and bathroom with a number of businesses. So, um, you know, using a public bathroom is always anxiety-producing to me. Um you know, I guess I can't. I've yeah, I had a lot of early experiences that just make me very keenly uh, aware that the world is not safe as safe for me as it was pre-transition. So I'm always in any time where my gender might be in question, like a bathroom, mm -hmm. uh, get super anxious if there's not a gender-neutral stall available. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I've made that point to to my workplace uh, recently. Uh, because we're about to move to a new building that they actually like built themselves and they've assured me that there are gender neutral options available um there so that makes me happy um but there's, sure, there's yeah, issues listen to you and actually make some changes that's wonderful yeah i'm on the diversity and inclusion committee so like i do get to my voice amplified a little bit uh which is nice um and then things like you know, I guess like it comes down to clothing as well. Um, when, you know, we have like casual Fridays and sometimes my casual is like kind of gender screwy, I guess is the way to say it. Like I might be wearing men's jeans that I would have worn on casual Friday pre-transition. I've worn these jeans dozens of times before with no issue. and But now I'm getting pulled into an office by a manager to be like, eh, that doesn't like really look workplace appropriate. You know, and they're but they they even acknowledge that it's a little weird because because of being transgender mm -hmm. that my wardrobe might you know it's like you can be casual feminine but like casual feminine is held to a higher standard than casual uh, masculine standards. Yeah, I was so, so I've run into that for sure. I was so thankful when we got a president finally in my company that that you know took the stance very many times like I do not want to be the fashion police I do not want to put down rules or whatever like um, I'm sure but, but see the thing is is there, there's still got to be something there's still got to be some level of decorum and uh, some kind of agreed upon set of clothing rules but it's never super defined because there's so much stuff out there that's it's always kind of a, yeah. a, a, a fine line to walk but I was just glad that he's that he was a like yeah I don't want to deal with that like be professional, be what you want to be, and I, I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, two pieces of of uh, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff here that I, I forgot to do. If you have any questions for me or Erica while you're watching in the chat, go ahead and just put a double question mark in front of that so it's easy to find. And then actually, if you uh, want to at me as well, put at Emily with, or um, at the transgender show. I don't think Emily would go would show up, but at the transgender show, it'll be easy for me to, to see it. And I'll ask her that either throughout or at the end. 
And then if you're in here and haven't done so already, somewhere below, uh, probably this way, I think, is a heart with a follow. Go ahead and click that so you'll know when we go live. Now that that's out of the way, we can keep moving. How did you choose the name Erica? Yeah. Um, originally, I was going to go with Jasmine, maybe, but uh, I, that felt not right. Um, so my mom wanted to name me Eric, um, but my dad won out and chose my dad name. So I thought it would be a great way to still honor my parents by choosing Erica. Um, and I, I loved the name Eric. Actually, I would have loved to be named Eric, but uh, I love being called Erica. Mm -hmm. And um, and then when it came to my middle name, Lynn, uh, my mom's middle name is Lynn. And the best part of that whole story is I picked, I went, the, the deciding factor that picked Lynn for me was that someone was like, oh, with Erica and your last name, which starts with an F, if you have an L middle name, your, your initials will spell Elf. So... My, I knew my mom's middle name was Lynn, so I was like, Erica Lynn, that's it. Elf. Oh, that's so Which cute. If you, see any of my, if you see any of my drawings, that's my that's my like signature is Elf. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure to... Um, well, first off, I didn't like the feminized version of my name. And right. uh, um, I'm, I'm bummed when you say that you, you, you feminized the name that they were going to, to name you. I forget what feminine name my parents would have chosen for me. And... Uh, uh, Christopher wouldn't have worked, you know, um, I've known and dated too many Christina's over the years. So, mm -hmm. so I had to choose, I had to choose my own blaze my own trail. And, and I don't know about for you, but I liked it and it felt good to say that and to introduce myself as that. But then it, there was also a big learning curve for myself to kind of get used to that and, and, and really kind of take to it. Did you take to it right from the beginning or was there some kind of learning curve? Um, yeah, I th I think there was a learning curve, but I think it went by real quick. I would say very quickly, within probably a month or so. Um, and that's just using my name casually in a small group of friends. That's before I like really started coming out with the people. Mm -hmm. um, once they started using Erica regularly, once I knew that that would be my name, um, hearing my, my dead name just felt terrible, it went, like very quickly. And now it's like I don't respond to my dead name like at all. Um, it just like doesn't even resonate with me at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still bumping up against that with uh, some family members, but yeah, I, I'm really happy to have the groups now that only know me as Emily. You know that they never <laughs> even heard my previous name. So uh, yeah, totally. I feel the same. Yeah. Um. So. Did did going on um, HRT uh, or just the the general acceptance of you being trans once you once you were out um, did that uh, did that change your focus on the potential partners or was it just that one experience with the the trans woman? Um, I think my experience with that particular partnership with someone who was trans uh, opened my eyes to queerness i mean I'm, i identify as like a queer trans woman sometimes in a more brazen way i don't say i'm a i'm a queer trans lesbian dyke or whatever um in certain circles and uh it's a long time so but yeah it's, it's let's shorten up to queer trans woman that's already long enough 
but I think um, I think that relationship like opened my mind more. Um, and I've but and since then, like I've been with people on a physical level of like every every type of gender expression. Um, it's not like like for example, cis men. It's not like I would not be open to the idea, but like in general, they just like don't do much for me, especially romantically. It's like romantically, men don't do a whole lot for me, um, but as opposed to women or non-binary folks. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm always open to be surprised by people. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've, I've primarily been uh, attracted to, Everyone, I'm I'm polyamorous. I, I should say that before I start saying what I'm about to say. So I'm polyamorous. So I have like multiple sweeties. We call each other sweeties. That's our language for each other, and they're all non-binary at the moment. So um, you know, it's I've seemed to have found a niche in non-binary humans that I seem to appreciate greatly. Nice. Uh, so has your success rate in dating changed post-transition or? Um... And what would you attribute that to? Is it more just kind of finding the right community and finding this kind of vein of people that you're attracted to? Yeah, I would it definitely, things changed for sure. Um, you know, and that part of that's like how I'm advertising myself, you know, as when I presented as masculine all those years, you know, I was very much like being the top, being the dominant one, da 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 da, like I'm in charge. Uh, when in reality, I just want to be like a pretty princess who like I want someone to like take care of me and just make me feel like pr precious and beautiful. And so uh, once I embrace that sort of like actual desire and like to be authentic to that, um, there have been more success in dating, I feel like. Uh, and I do attribute that to being like more authentic to, you know, who I am and what I want um, as a partner. Um and also, like, getting into my 30s and, like, having had all this experience here, like, I know much more what I want and, like, know how to communicate it. So that helps. Um, and then just, yeah, I mean, the queer community has a different value set, a value set that feels more in alignment with, like, what I'm looking for. So it's, I think it's just been easier because of the communities I've been hanging hang out. I've, I've, I'm looking in a different community than before. Mm -hmm. So I think that has helped quite a lot. Yeah, I need to I need to find that that local community to be able to to start having that that success because that's an area I'm still struggling with. Um, let's go back a little bit. We got a question here from uh, Peach Roof. Is there a lot of pressure to be out and uh, out there standing up for the trans community as a role model and a public face now that you're streaming? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, because I'm a streamer now, um, feel some sense of, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, there is a weird pressure. Um, when I first started streaming about four or five months ago, I, I tried not to make my transness like part of the deal. Mm -hmm. um, but because of my transness, I was attracting a lot of trans audience members. And then like as shit stuff started happening in the oh, world right, you know covid and stuff with trump and stuff with, like all the stuff starts happening like it made me 
you know, it made me realize that if I do have a platform, which I do, uh, I owe it to both myself. Like I can't separate politics from my identity. Like being a queer trans woman is a political statement. Like you can't, anyone who can, who thinks they can separate the two, like that is, that's privilege really is what it is. People who feel like they can do that. So um, I can't, I can't ignore that. And also in the theater work I do, like the, the theater group I'm part, we are very, we are very radical. We are very like saying we are leftist is like an understatement. That's like, no, we, we are beyond being left or, or liberal or Democrat. Like, um, you know, we are here imagining new societies that work much better than the ones that we have. Um, a lot, but like my my full political leanings, I do tone that down mm-hmm. a little bit based on my platform and you know my workplace. While not like being super uh, observant of my social media, like if I said something too inflammatory on social media, I'd be out of a job. And if I'm out of a job, I can't support others that I support, and I can't like I lose a bunch of things if I lose my job. So I do have to like protect some of some of that. But to get to like to the very beginning of of that question of like do I feel the pressure to to be like a I mean at my job I do like as the only trans person like who no one else is going to say anything if I I had a really tough meeting a few weeks ago where this committee I'm on and the COO were talking we're talking about like George Floyd because I'm I live in the neighborhood that's all this stuff is happening right now in Minneapolis it's like two blocks from my house um I live there and. I, at the end of this meeting, like we're almost kind of wrapping up. I'm like, I'm sorry, but if I don't address these things right now, as the only trans person, I would be doing a great disservice to the transgender community. And then I brought up the issues I had. And, um, you know, and then after that meeting was over, I cried for like five to 10 minutes because that was really, really hard to do to, to talk to my COO about these very deeply vulnerable uh, fears and, um, you know, things that, I'm concerned about like if the company wants to be you know inclusive to the trans community they've got some work to do and I let them know what work needs to be done like the simplest of tasks just the bare minimum right now that they could do real easy breezy like um, to make it a more inclusive place or to let trans people know that it's an inclusive place. Yeah, and the important thing in that is to make sure that they do more than just the lip service there's actual action and and the the people that are uh, in your company and outside observing it see that there's actual action and uh, right. that, that was the thing that we were we were just trying to start uh, a gender uh, an, an inclusive community in the company the same committee that, that you were talking about earlier and we kept losing yeah. a lot of people because they, they still they still felt that even though we were on the committee and starting to do the things that the company was too locked into lip service and not action yeah yeah, so it's it's wonderful to see that yeah. your company sounds a little bit more receptive to that, and and you have the the platform to actually make change happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful. I, I I'm one of those people who plan for the worst, hope for the best mm. type personalities. So, glass half full. I love it. Hey, uh, Maddie Two Spirit, thank you so much for the host, and uh, thank you everybody that's that's part of the chat that that's commenting. We've got some love for. Uh, non-binary folks and uh, polyamory in in the in the chat. So lots of love there. Yay! Yay! 
Um, you mentioned your sobriety. How did you get, how, how did you kind of fall into that and then uh, into drinking that was unhealthy? And how did, what pulled yeah. you out of it? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've told my, um, I've told the, my story around sobriety um, many, many times. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm very, at least there was a time where I was super active in 12-step recovery. And uh, so, like, the first beer I ever had was the summer, the first day of summer after sixth grade. Me and a bunch of friends were in, uh, had tents in someone's backyard. Someone snuck a couple beers, like two beer cans split between six kids. So I like I had like this much beer and I just remember the whole time like oh my god that wasn't enough like this is supposed to be like magic and I didn't get like already that like obsession once I had a drink was there like from beginning like 12 years old um and then because alcoholism runs my family rampantly from like top to bottom everybody aunts uncles grandpas dads whatever um I was like I'm not going to drink like my family and what did I proceed to do as a teenager? I drank just like them, uh, except maybe it was whiskey instead of vodka or whatever. Like that was, I could rationalize that in my brain. Well, it's not, I'm not drinking this. I'm drinking this, which is somehow more refined and better. Um, and then I got to college and I'm like, I got to focus on like, I'm paying a lot of money to be, and also like the risky behavior of my teenage years. Oh my God, I, I should not be alive. I should not have all my body parts right now. Um, there's some scary moments as a teenager. Um, and then I got to college. I like really hunkered down, did that for four years, um, barely drank at all. And then my divorce happened and whoosh off, off to the racehorses. Um, by the end of it, by the winter of 2011, I was staying up till 4 a.m., like every night drinking whiskey alone, listening to Hank Williams Sr. And I don't even like country music. Um, so it was dark. Yeah, that's like, that's, that's this is, really dark if you're listening to country. Oh. <laughs> this, was, this was my favorite Hank Williams Sr. lyric, which really describes my mental state is, I'm going down in the river three times, but only coming up twice. That was like what I was listening to on repeat. And this trans woman that I was dating was actually sober for like seven years when we started dating and uh, i just remember waking up one day and we like skyped we had like we had it was one of my last major benders is uh i drank a lot and then we i got home and we started skyping because she was in la and it was like three in the morning and it, i was a mess and then i woke up the next day like we would fall asleep on skype with each other when we were like apart and then like i woke up the next morning she kind of woke up and i was like I'm done. I, just, I, I can't do this, that anymore. Uh, she helped me get sober. Uh, she's really like truly like just this angel in my life that like I'm only alive now because of her. She got me sober. She got me into the 12 step program to like actually work it because no one who wants to get sober wants to do recovery work. That's just lame. I remember my first few like 12 step meetings being like, uh, this is why am I here? But she like she kept helping me do the deal until I was sober enough to like actually realize I kind of liked it. Um, and then like shit between us hit the fan. I'm sorry. I swore again twice. Oh my gosh. I just like that. S word so much. God damn it. Um, I quit swearing on my fucking stream. Okay. 
Yes. Sweet. I just, that was just a ploy to get you dropping that bomb. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, then I moved to LA and just really the 12 steps community there, the person who became my sponsor in LA, my very first meeting in LA, like he came up to me after the meeting. He's like, did you hear about this event? I'm like, no. He's like, well, you're going. And he quickly became my sponsor. And he's like, he's the human who taught me how to grow up. He taught me how to be an adult. He taught me how to love in a way that isn't like manipulative. Like to like actually just love someone and not expect want something from them is was really hard for me to do. I was only used to like giving someone love if some if it meant I was getting, you know, certain things that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, it was really life. I mean, obviously life changing. Uh, you know, I've been sober what nine months and nine and nine, nine and a half years. Nine and a half years I've been sober, uh, and I would not. You know, the thing that keeps me sober is like I don't want to screw any of this up. Like everything I've got going on right now is so freaking amazing that I will never touch. Even though I do want, I do want to drink sometimes. I'd love to have a drink. I'd love to have like a whiskey coke. God, I miss whiskey cokes. But because the life I built for myself has been so wonderful, um, and like the journey of my twenties is just uh, of being sober has been so unbelievable and surreal and lovely and amazing. It's been such a wonderful journey. Not always easy. Um, I will not screw up, you know, my sobriety for anything. Mm -hmm. Got a tough question on this subject from the chat. Um, it, it, have you found in in your sobriety or in therapy and talking about substance abuse? Do you feel that there's any link between the substance abuse and transgenderism, if that's a word? Um, uh, and then the the follow up yeah. question is: is it is it just an escape and coping mechanism? Um, I would say that. I mean, I had so much to numb myself over. I mean, you we could throw being transgender, we could and dysphoria, we could throw sexual trauma. We could throw the pain of being in a very toxic household growing up. We could throw uh, being bullied for, you know, anytime I tried to express myself as I wanted to, just getting, like, bullied, so much bullying. Um, choosing relationships that were so unhealthy. Like, there was, there's so much to drink over, and absolutely some of it had to do with being transgender, for sure. I don't, I don't think I would have had that, that gentle thought, I am transgender, driving to work had I not been sober for a year or two. Um, oh, sorry, I'm getting all burpy from this ginger ale. Um, <laughs> I would not have those thoughts had it not been for getting sober, for sure. Like, I don't have a doubt about that in my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I loved one of the things that you said. We, we kind of skirted around it, and um, but I, I, I loved in our pre-interview when you talked about being beaten into conformity. <laughs> And, yes. and yes. Um, you know, just basically how the societal norms are drilled into us as kids. Um, and then what I liked, what you how you followed up on that was saying that since coming out, it has kind of forced you to readdress a lot of those social norms and those uh, conforming aspects that are forced on us. Um, did you want to oh, yeah. expand on that a little bit more? Like some, some of those things that you've realized, oh, well, since I've, I've confirmed that this is bullshit, this way of thinking, this is also bullshit. I need to be careful yeah. in my life. I mean, for me, yeah, for me, um, you know, 
the the thing that like makes us suffer is like binaries, right? We got man, woman over here. And then we have a plethora of people somewhere, somewhere over here. And it is that binary thinking that like causes like to think, you know, and I'm going to preface this by saying like, these are all my own thoughts and my own opinions about my own gender identity, my own expression of my identity. Uh, if something about what I'm about to say is like not congruent to your own experience, like that's fine. I'm not like you have your own belief system. I just want to put that out there that I'm not, I don't want to shame anyone for like what they believe in this. But for me, I believe very strongly that it isn't so much that I was born or assigned being a man and I want to become woman. Um, that I don't want to live in that binary. I, I, I know that I'm a non-binary transgender woman. Um, I'm, you know, there's a continuum method that still adheres to binary and like people are like, oh yeah, I'm somewhere on this, on this continuum. And even that for me is, feels a little limiting. So I know we were talking about this earlier about like, I believe in the sort of the galaxy method where I am my own planet. I am planet Erica. My gender is planet Erica. Uh, everything about this is unique unto myself. I am my own thing swirling around in, in this universe around others. Oof, some fireworks going outside. <laughs> I don't know if that caught it. Um, and and those society norms about like what is masculine, what is feminine, what is man, what is woman, these are the things that make me suffer at night. Like, you know, um, you know, the debate, like, what do I want for surgeries, for example? Uh, you know, I don't think I personally want gender conforming surgery, at least at this point. I would certainly like some facial feminization surgery. And that's for me. Like I'd like to I'd like to just do some stuff here. I'd like to get some updates to the chest area. And these are things that I want to do for me. Um, but I do know that there is a pressure to pass so that I do fit into a gender binary. You know, voice therapy. Um, I, I've done work on my voice. My voice is a hell of a lot higher than it was when I was a teenager. Um, I, can, I was a bass in high school, and I've, I've always had this raspy voice all my life. Doctors have told me I have a I have really thick vocal cords. They've looked at it with video cameras. I have really thick vocal cords. I'm always going to have this raspy voice. Um, I speak higher now. I can sing higher than I used to. Uh, like I said, I was a bass. But I feel that pressure to like make my voice match some idea of woman. And that really like makes me bummed out and suffer because it's, you know, it's a lot of work, work that I'm, I could be using that energy for other things in the world. Um, you know, and so the the same suffering I had trying to perform man is the same suffering that I sometimes experience trying to perform woman. Um, I love makeup. I hate the expectation of makeup. So I like at work. I will rarely wear makeup at work because I'm like, screw you. Um, the men don't have to wear makeup. I'm not going to wear makeup. And then for this, I will gladly like make myself look pretty because I want to look pretty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't need to look pretty at work. There's, I don't see clients. I don't see the public. I sit in a box all day and and look at numbers. And so there's no reason to be super uh, high fam at work. I should just be comfortable. That's an amazing perspective. I find that, um, again, you know, I love makeup and I love getting all done up and pretty, like you said. But then I feel the pressure, like, you know, there's the days where I, yeah, I, I, I 
don't have time to shower and shave or feel like, you know, um, I don't want to do that multiple times during the day, you know, the, the makeup on and then go work out. You know, I, I, I struggle with feeling that I can present female in the way that I want to, to go do certain activities and then, you know, um, have to do other things later. Um, I, yeah, yeah. So I, I just feel that, that pressure to always put the, the makeup on because I don't feel like I present correctly without it. And so that's the, that's the thing that yeah. I still run run against. Yeah. And like makeup definitely helps with my own dysphoria for sure. Um, you know, but you know, some, I'm, I'm very, doesn't, I, I do not need to wear makeup for streaming. For example, there's many streams where I don't wear makeup and like, that's fine. But, um, but like if I'm going someplace public, there is a certain amount of consideration for like, how well am I going to pass so that I can be as safe as possible? Like I no longer early in transition the first year, there's a lot of times where I could present very masculine still. Um, I feel like it's less capable, although I get misgendered all the time. So maybe I can present, you know, however, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, the only consideration that I want for passing to fit into that is just to like not get hassled. Like that's like the biggest thing is I just don't want to get hassled. So I want to like look like a woman, you know? Yeah. I tell people that, um, I never felt masculine enough. I never, like, you know, like you said, I never felt like I fit the mold well enough. Try as I might until I tried to be feminine. (laughs) And now I just feel like I just ooze masculinity. And it's just like, Oh, (laughs) Right. Every time I wanted to grow facial hair, like it was always so slow and like take weeks to get decent facial hair. And now, goddamn, I have to like shave every day. It's what is not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to to some of the questions here in the middle. Um, how has your uh, has your theatrical, entertaining, and clown training and career, as well as your D and D role playing games? Um, how has that helped you explore your gender roles and identity? Does that give you more of a platform to do that? Yeah, actually, you know, at some of the most dysphoric moments is working with the theater company I work with. Um, we're, we're a very physical theater company. We just like, we move intensely for hours. And when, like the, the point is like to exhaust yourself, exhaust yourself up here so that you reach the state of just reacting and listening to your fellows continuing to move and then we like make epic things happen with our bodies in space but when i do that i'm very keenly aware of like how thick my body is how broad it is the things that are like masculine traits like i become keenly aware of it um i it's less now um but like i've also been able to talk to this the all trans theory i'm like hey just so you know like this makes me super dysphoric and they can be like, yeah, it makes me super dysphoric too. And we can have like a conversation about it. So I'm glad to be in a trans ensemble to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, for D&D, 100% lets me explore gender. Um, my very first character, Maxima, is a lesbian tiefling who's out for revenge for the people who murdered her lover um, before the campaign even begins. And that like that's my Scorpio coming out. That is my brooding coming out. That is outsider coming out, like all these things. And then for the current campaign that I'm doing, like V, V is almost everything in a woman that I wish I could be, Um, which she's a con artist. So like, I don't, I don't, I'm not condoning like ripping people off and stealing from them. However, she is bold. She is not afraid to just 
not have a plan and walk in there anyway and make something happen. And she like she literally negotiated on the spot to get five thousand gold pieces for something she didn't even know was going to be happening in a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, I don't. I'm not that brazen. I am not. I couldn't walk into a situation and be like, you know what? You want me to do this? Fine. Give me two thousand dollars and I'll do it. Like that. That's not me. I struggle with that type of stuff. So V allows me, and she's like, you know, she's super sort of like she uses her sexuality uh she's you know i feel like she's sexy maybe she's not sexy i don't know people who watch the D campaign can tell me but i feel like she's sexier than i am uh i feel like she owns herself she knows herself she's uh she's very confident even when she shouldn't be <laughs> that's wonderful yeah I, I i'm kind of jealous of that that that's great to have that sort of thing that you can live vicariously through but actually take an active part in that's pretty wonderful yeah we gotta we gotta follow and i saw it and i was um looking at the fact that that my alerts were doubled so something i gotta figure out for later but it, it messed up so i didn't see who it was i wanted to give you uh mm -hmm. credit on on the stream uh, aretha oh he unfollowed and followed again well thanks for the refollow <laughs> you didn't have to do that <laughs> Awesome. We, we appreciate every follow here. Was that simply Aretha? Simply Aretha, yeah. Awesome, hi Aretha. Yeah, I think you've got a lot of fans here too, Erica. Yeah, From I did Maddie hear a peach. Spirit, what is your uh, what in your opinion are the top three trans issues that are um, still being underserved? Under, under I mean, first and foremost, uh, black trans women and. Uh, trans people of color uh they need they like we, there's still so much work to be done there's you know the violence against them is uh unbelievable um i've been i mean i'm, I'm white i'm very privileged i've my road has been easier than many um but you know it's yeah every every news story that comes out is breaks my heart uh for any trans sibling who is you know beaten or killed or whatever like it's just that's first and foremost you know and um i mean we're we're like in the middle of this epic like civil rights battle right like i don't want to get like super political but again like i was saying earlier it's kind of impossible to separate my identity is political mm -hmm. uh you know trump's administration is just released a bunch of regulations that a we don't have access to health care b we don't have like protection uh, for being fired. Luckily, the Supreme Court ruled in our favor that, you know, this one, we can't be fired for being trans. Okay, well, eventually, the other things need to be worked out legally as well. Um, and then also, he, one of his departments, I think Health and Human Services, defined gender as your biological gender uh, that is immutable. You can't change it. No one is talking about that gender one. You know, at least like cis media is not talking about that regulation. I think that ruling, I mean, it legally, it like defines us out of legal existence if that if that picks up momentum and people start like adhering to that regulation. I think that's like one of the most dangerous. He's, he's set back all of our work, like 10 or 15 years, this administration and the president. And, um, you know, we live in a time where it's like super important to not sit back and relax and, and stuff. Um, and then in terms of like a third issue, um, I mean, I, I, it's, I, this feels like it's so generalized, but like, 
there is very little in this society that is set up for trans people, whether it's whether it's healthcare, whether it is TSA. You know, going I've flown a few times since transitioning, and it's always a nightmare. I'm often getting felt up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, my trans ensemble went to a thing this past fall, and every single one of us, except for I was the very last one out of four people, you just watch them get like taken away to get searched because our bodies don't match up to their scanner. And then I walked through the scanner. The guy, the TSA agent looked at me, looked me up and down. He looked at all my friends being like, you know, fondled and was like, eh, it's a dude and let me walk through. So like I get misgendered, but I don't have to get felt up. So like, where's the fairness in that? Um, And actually there's another time where um, I, the, the TSA agent was like, you there there's an anomaly on your scan that anomaly will go away if i scan you as a man and i'm like i'm a transgender woman and she's like i know but if you don't want to be searched i can run you through the scanner again as a man otherwise either this gentleman or myself can uh, you know search you i was like fuck it scan me as scan me as a man then i don't want people touching me um you know, especially given my history, which they don't even know my history. The last thing I want is to be touched by a stranger in a non-consensual way. Yeah. So I go in, I get misgendered, I get scanned, and they're like, okay, you can go on. It's like she even knew. She knew the issue. She knew what was going on, but she was in a position because of all their protocols that were not designed for trans people. Like, and how hard would it be to just, like, insert one little button, one more button that says, like, transgender mm-hmm. um, to, like, make room so that you're not falsely having to search people who don't need to be searched. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, the most bizarre thing. It's just, it's just having a penis and breasts at the same time. And and mm-hmm. that's what makes their machine kind of, you know, basically shit the bed, you know? And it's, yeah. and it's like, yeah, why is that so hard? So I've had the same experience where if you get scanned, what they, I, I think a lot of times I haven't even been asked, I just get, you know, misgendered and they do that. And so then my, my breast inserts get, you know, flagged on the machine. So then, you know, they're, they're filling up my chest. Um, but yeah, if you do it the other way, then they have to feel between your legs and, and yeah, it's just like, like why, <laughs> why couldn't they add something that, that includes both because they still scan as organic material. They still scan the same. It's just, it's throwing right. an error because the, the, the program is set to accept only one or, or the other. Right. It's, it's yeah. They can tell if you have like something foreign on your body that isn't organic. That's what they're looking for. So, um, ask that one. This is a, a, a more kind of ethereal question. How can one be a planet Erica satellite? <laughs> Any advice Ooh, to uh, <laughs> be confident and comfortable in your gender? Um, on the galaxy. Well, spectrum. first up, don't be a satellite, be a fucking star, be, be a planet yourself, um, you know, and maybe our orbital paths will cross and the gravity will do what it does. Um, and like, you know, I, I am a performer. I have lots of theatrical background. I've done lots of improv. I've done clowning. I probably come off more confident than I actually am. Like, there's lots of times I'm scared to do stuff. You know, I'm da, 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 like... Real life is not this. This is me getting to be 
I am Erica. I I can play Erica. I've played Erica for 34 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I think when I'm out there um, doing the deal, I think, you know, finding community that I'll, I've had, you know, my sweeties, like my sweeties help my confidence a lot too. You know, I didn't, I don't feel very beautiful, but then my sweeties would be like, you're gorgeous. And like, they'll make me feel beautiful. Having someone in your life who makes you feel beautiful uh, is a gift. Not everyone has that gift, unfortunately, but so sometimes it's, it's much harder to do to like give that gift to yourself. Yes. Um, but you know, it's, as it's friends, so crucial, right? It's 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 one of the most important things you have to do, and it's one of the things you have to try and find your way to to find that early on, because transitioning yeah. is so hard. And you know, we talk about finding a community, finding a support group. The first thing is, is you really have to support yourself. You have to accept that this is part of you. This is who you are, and then you move past that, and and you know, work on the the self acceptance, and and then move on to having the community. Yeah. But exactly. it's kind of like chicken and egg because having the community, having a sweetie like that is so big and, and ha- does so much to help you with that affirmation and to make you feel better about yourself. Oh, yeah. It can be tough. Yeah. I, one story that I always like fawn over is my, my, one of my sweeties on our very first date, we were just chatting a whole bunch and she was, and they were like, out of nowhere, they just they they started like shot up a little bit. Like you are a rare jewel, and I was just like, mm, <laughs> please date me. <laughs> you know, it was like it's so easy to make me swoon. I'm so easy. Oh, that's awesome, though. Um, so things are cut a little bit out of order. Um, how did you how did you first uh, when did you first get into theater? It was in high school, right? Yeah. Um, I was a super shy kid, super shy, uh, talking to people, you know, I was, I was that kid who would like hide behind their mom and like refuse to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my older sister, she did theater. So I like, I saw her on stage and, like there was a part of me that's like, well, I want to do what she's I, like. I saw the attention she was getting. I was like, well, I kind of want that. Um, and my school for being so as small as it was, had a really good drama teacher, um, she's yeah for having like no resources she did amazing she had cultivated the summer theater program at the school that was like for the budget it had was pretty amazing actually um and it was very like they had a nice like going through the ranks method like oh yeah you're gonna become a, you'll start as a background actor then you know as you get older you'll get a bit part you'll you know you'll get a few lines and then she's you know started giving me actually my very first production she was in uh, that wasn't a musical my first like non-musical role in high school. Um, I played a beggar. My job literally was to have a sign before every scene that just had like the setting, you know, this is like, this is where we're, and I was just, and she's like, you can do whatever you want uh, during, like the script just says, beggar walks across stage with sign. Um, And she's like, you can do or say whatever you want in these moments. So the game for me became, how can I make my castmates who are frozen behind me, like in the scene, ready to start once I'm done? How can I make them laugh? So I'd just be like, this is supposed to take place in like, you know, medieval Europe. So I'd be like, anyone 
Anyone got a pound, a shilling, anything? It's just like yelling weird stuff. I, I did a pratfall where like I'd fall on my face in front of them to try to get them to laugh. <laughs> At one point, I had to sneak in the audience and sit in the front row, and they do a medieval game show, and I get called up onto the stage. And like I ran at the stage, and I was supposed to jump up onto the stage, but I purposefully like just nailed the front of the stage and bounced off like onto my back, and just made people just, just you know die and so like i very quickly realized um uh, I'm, I'm a ham i do like to make people laugh uh there's no problem bringing a lot of energy to a performance here um you know i i found out that i actually like am decent at dance and what kept what carried me i was going to be a math major um but my senior year i did a drama workshop at the university that i went eventually went to and they're like if you declare your theater we'll give you a scholarship right now I was like, okay, you'll give me money? Sure. So I declared theater my major. I tried to do math for a couple semesters, and just, it did not fit into my schedule. They were on opposite sides of the campus and the theater. Uh, very intense, uh, both classroom work and outside classroom work, because you have to rehearse all your scenes outside of class. So, like, there's just no free time. Uh, so I just settled on a theater major and studying performance specifically. Um, and then I uh, was in the honors program, and near the end of my time in my undergrad, I found this clown school, and I you know, realized if I was going to get any more education after my undergrad, I'd go to this clown school, uh, which is like a well. Yeah, this clown school has graduates all over the world, like doing Cirque du Soleil, on these big, like anything physical, clownish, like are probably graduates of the school. So the network is very extensive and amazing, and it's got me work just wow. being an alumni of the school. So what are some of the significant uh, projects or, you know, some of your, your, your big experiences other than um, your, your pratfalls as the beggar? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean like the most, uh, the project that like has the most like, Oh my God, the people I'm doing this with was when I moved to LA uh, my ex at the time, like uh, that trans woman, uh, she who actually like this trans woman is, is like She's kind of a big deal, actually. I'm not going to name her name. Um, but she got me into the show that was being written and directed by a guy named Michael Arden, who is a Broadway performer nominated for Tonys. Uh, and his cast are people like um, an actress in that show uh, who scratched. She scratched up my car, and she was on Newsroom. She was on uh, The Office for a couple of episodes as, like, um, someone's cousin or something um just like there all these people and you're like working actors who, like you might know from you you might not know their name but you've seen them so that was just amazing and neil patrick harris came to the show i got mm. to meet him from doing the show um there's some other celebs who were supposed to come to the show who, who flaked um but it was like the the lighting director who was like a tony award-winning grammy not grammy um emmy award-winning lighting director just like everybody in the show, it's like huge, huge resumes of amazing work. I was like, oh my gosh, like what, how lucky am I to like work on this as like my first trip in LA. Hmm. Um, so that's like my band credit. And then my second one is like doing a solo clown show called Origami Swans, where I play a, a hobo clown who gets addicted to drugs and alcohol in the course of the play. Um, it's, it's a poetic look at addiction. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's very dark, 
But the only thing that saves it from being a super uh, depressing show is that I am so lovable. This is what people tell me. I'm not saying this. Other people have told me I'm so damn lovable and endearing that even when I'm doing things like drink, like just guzzling vodka from a flower vase um, for like five minutes straight, uh, it's very endearing. Hmm. Or like when I'm fighting a flask puppet that beats me over the head, uh, it's just all endearing. So that was, but that project was near and dear to my heart and uh, really loved working on it and premiering it and performing it a few different times. And that was one that you wrote? Yeah, I wrote it. I directed it myself. I did the sound design. I performed. Yeah. Wow. And it was, the show was only about a half hour long. And what I would do, because I've been hired by like mental health places to do the show, I would do the show. I'd have a quick intermission and then I'd come out for like 30 to 45 minutes and like talk about, do a, do a speech called The Healing Power of Storytelling, where I talk about my own journey with sobriety and alcohol and substances and how telling my story first to like a therapist and to a sponsor and then to like 12 set groups and then to other people, how much that like has healed me and my own trauma and, and stuff I'm working on. Um, so yeah, those two things combined into like an evening was like really special. And like every time I do, I did that, I get just like 20 to 50 people after the show who just like stuck around, waited in line to tell me their story, wow. either their own start struggle with, with substances or like someone they know who is struggling with substances. Um, and then just try to be conduit to that and like just receive a lot of heavy information from people. Um, that, yeah, that, that is so awesome that, <laughs> uh, having that, that audience response, that's got to feel wonderful. Do you have any projects like that coming up? What's your next big project you got? Well, the theater company, the trans group, or we're called open flame theater here in Minneapolis. And, um, we were supposed to premiere a show a couple weeks ago that we've been working on for three years. Uh, it's called the garden. Basically the gist of it is that, uh, we're in hell. Hell is a garden as like a garden as a metaphor for like control mm -hmm. as opposed to being the wild. So it's like the oppressive nature of capitalist, you know, cishet culture. Um, and uh, I play someone who's died and the, the other character, he comes to try to rescue me from hell. And, you know, um, it's half opera, half techno, uh, half aerial work, half poetry, half it's i think it's going to be an amazing show um now that we have a but because of covid we had to reschedule it till next summer next june so now we have another year to like make it even better than what it was um, that's awesome but that yeah that's been like the, my main focus for three years because it's taken up almost all of my creative energy as a performer anyway mm -hmm. um i was gonna say that that's made up of a lot of halves i can see where um you, how you you know you definitely went down the theater path and kind of eschewed your math background because I don't think the math works. But um, anyways. <laughs> oh, called out. Called <laughs> out. Oh, I love it. Um, I got a, speaking of called out, I got a, I, I didn't, it's, it's not listed here on the, at the bottom of the screen, but apparently Brie has, has tipped again in a major way. So I, I wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you so much for that, Brie. That's amazing. I love, I, I thank you all so much for your support just in coming and watching and then financial support is, is amazing. It's going to help a lot. So thank you, Bree. Thank um, you. 
so um how did you get into twitch when did you start streaming and and how did that all come about yeah um it came about about a year and a half ago or so uh, my best friend growing up uh started streaming on twitch he is a speed runner of X-Men 1 and 2 for the Sega Genesis. He is the world record holder for both games, right, currently? Mm. Um, but he started streaming mostly to like to do his speedruns on Twitch. And he's like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I'd love if you like made an account and come check me out. And so I did. Spent you know over a year just in his community, never, never at all looking anywhere outside of Twitch at all. And then... Um, one night he raided uh, someone, and uh, I instantly fell in love with this particular streamer. Uh, her name is Coco Confession, and uh, I started watching her stream. And she's a big streamer, like she's full time, da 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 da. And and so watching her stream, I started to realize the potential of Twitch being an amazing platform to build community. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like. And then I know also the Transvengers, who I like. I'm familiar from social media with a lot of them. You know, they've been starting to. They've obviously been streaming on Twitch for a number of months now. Um, they started their channel about the same time that I started mine. But actually, I uh, made an Ariana. I, I, she was one person because I followed her so much on social media. Uh, I've I started watching her stream like well over a year ago and quickly became one of her mods. So like between my friend A-Frame and Ari, um, that was like my only thing on Twitch until I started, I found a larger stream that like, like I felt safe in, I felt comfortable in. I was like, well, I want to, I want to try to build a community. Um, so I started this January at the end of January, just doing real casual on my bed, drawing super cash. And then like by the end of February, I was affiliate and I was like, well, let's like, let's spruce it up a little bit. So, you know, I've slowly been building everything. I've got lights, camera, action, <laughs> microphones. I built a PC about a month ago from scratch. I had never done that before. Uh, so now I've just got like this command post and I just love every minute of it. Nice. Yeah, we're getting some Ari uh, mod love in the chat there. Yay. Yes. There's some of the names you mentioned are definitely Mari, Ari mods. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I my love to you all. At this point, what are you hoping to accomplish from your Twitch streaming? Do you have a uh, goal, something you're trying to achieve? Um, I have a few goals. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I would love to be a full-time streamer. I am very far from that reality. But, um, you know, right now, even before I started uh, streaming, my life has been very stretched out by my full-time job and my theater work. And like, if I could cut down on the full-time job uh, or like find something that could replace it for some income and to be more present to the theater work, I would really love that. Um, you know, this D&D &D campaign has, you know, been a pleasant surprise to like how many people are interested in it and coming to check it out and supporting it. So, um, so like, that's a thing but like honestly like all of that to be said like what i'm most interested in is like building a community you know being a beacon if people want to uh if they don't feel like they've found their community like come to my community you know i i really um i'm a scorpio and i'm a if you're really into astrology i am a 
Pisces, Moon, and a Cancer rising. I'm a triple water sign, and the Cancer rising makes me like my that motherly protective instinct with a Scorpio, Scorpio sense. Like when you're in my circle and you're in like, I'm gonna fight fiercely for you. And so like, come if you don't feel like you fit in, you wanna come come hang out with me. Come hang out, you know, this community and any of these other mutual communities that we share because. I I love all my trans folks and I love my cis folks who support us, you know, immensely. Um, yeah, I'm. I really just want to build a safe space for people that we can laugh, maybe cry, maybe vent about some stuff as it's going on. Yeah, and yeah, that's the same thing as my goal, and I, I love that being able to just have to build the community and support it and educate and have everybody have a good time. I just um, yeah. threw out there into the chat a link to your Transplanar R uh, RPG. Yay! And um, then also below that is are all the links to follow Erica. She's Erica New Girl everywhere, which makes it nice and easy. Instagram, Twitch, yes. and Twitter. So. Yep. The nice. holy trio. <laughs> yeah. Nice marketing idea there. Keep it consistent. And then if you want to follow yeah, well, Erica New oh, go ahead. Yeah, the Erica New Girl was was purely a, a joke in starting my Instagram, like when it was still sort of like my gender finsta almost. Like Erica and I'm a new girl, so Erica New Girl. And then now it's my handle on everything. <laughs> yeah. And then as you see under my picture, I'm Emily would go most places. So I'm pretty easy to find as well. I haven't developed my personal stream very well yet, but I'm hoping to get into that and get to start to follow a schedule. Again, I was hoping to start doing that this this week and had set a schedule on Twitch and then uh, ended up dog sitting and house sitting. So I haven't been home. Hopefully soon. Happens. Um, so in closing here, what are some of the main things that you would would tell young or closeted trans people what are some of the, the key messages that you have for them yeah um gosh uh first and foremost you're not alone you're not crazy for feeling the way you feel or thinking the things you think and most importantly like there is community out there that is ready and willing to accept you um just as you are um, and however you want to be and but like the on top of all that like do whatever you have to do to survive right now um, be safe be you know it's not always safe to come out it's not always safe to express who you are to certain people and only you can be the judge of that um, but like there are resources I'm a huge huge proponent of the hotline trans lifeline um, which is a great resource for trans folks. Uh, it's a phone number you can call from anywhere, and they not only will like help with just like listening, but they can also offer you a lot of resources wherever you might live. Um, so yeah, that's what I would hope someone would take away from anything I might be able to tell them. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then you know, yeah, there there are lots of resources out there, especially if you're feeling really depressed. And like I talked about before, I, you know, I've had been through my bouts of suicidal depression uh, a lot of the, the transvengers a lot of this community supports the the trevor project i believe you mentioned it before yes. as well erica yeah. and they're a, a a great hotline for you know if, if you're having any troubles and you're feeling really down 
that's what they're there for. There, yes, it's just a community absolutely. of a lot of us that have been through all of that same depression and have felt those horrible things about ourselves that are not true, but our our brains are broken and they tell us that anyways in some ways. I was uh, mm-hmm. listening to something on NPR the other day and uh, they were talking about the negativity bias that is just natural in our brains. So remember that a lot of that negativity that you're feeling is just sort of a, a natural defense mechanism that our brains have. Don't buy into it, but if, if you're feeling overwhelmed by it, please reach out and find those those different services like the Trevor Project and um, you know get the help that you need. Absolutely. And thank you all so much for coming. Erica, it's been a wonderful show. Thank you so much for being here and a- answering all the questions. Thank you for being here. Yep, definitely. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse. And be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.